is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, July 19, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in New York. Uh, Taylor Schwenk is working from the Schwenk Studios, and Sarah Abbott is working from ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut. And guys, before we go forward, that news with Jeff Passan, you know, with the, the tree falling on him and he suffered the broken back, that was crazy. I texted him, you know, afterward, you know, just having grown up, my brother's a logger. I worked, uh, you know, cutting down trees and splitting them growing up. Man, I, I I, mean, a broken back is a serious thing, which he suffered. It could have been a lot worse. Oh, my God. I saw his post. First of all, legitimate thoughts and prayers out to Jeff Passan and his family. Yes. You know, I'm glad that he can still, you know, be engaged in the uh, the baseball universe. But when I started reading that, I was like, is he paralyzed? Like, I, I, I had to read it again just to to make sure that he was actually okay. And I, you know, J- Jeff is a, is a friendly gentleman. I texted him last week about something that uh, I saw that he tweeted and uh, I didn't get a response back or anything. I was like, hmm, that's, that's unlike our guy. And uh, lo and behold, he is laid up. So we are uh, hoping for the best for him and, and hoping that he's recovers quickly. Yeah. Fingers crossed. And that, you know, I, I guess this is the time of year that if you were going to be uh, you know, bedridden or, or kind of uh, laid up. Uh, this would be the time of year to do it because trade deadlines, they'll be just texting back and forth with people in front offices. That's scary news, Sarah. This is the first time hearing of it. And oh my gosh, like broke his back? A tree fell on him? That's- yeah. He, uh, and if you see the picture of the tree, it was not like a branch that hit him. It was a big friggin' tree. And as I say, I, I, I you know, I, I, I'm sorry that he's going to be going through the pain of, of having the broken back. And I'm also relieved for him that uh, it wasn't something that was a lot worse. Really scary uh, about Jeff and, and we wish him the best. And, you know, maybe we'll, uh, we'll be talking with him later in the week. Uh, on the podcast today, we're going to be speaking with Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers. That's after we speak with Alden Gonzalez, who, of course, lives on the West Coast. He covers the Angels, covers the Dodgers, Padres, all those teams for us. So a lot of a lot of Western conversation today. Uh, you know, the teams, uh, the teams out there like the Arizona diamondbacks who are trying to get some traction after giving up, you know, their advantage in the national league West. And they had a crazy game with the Atlanta Braves yesterday. These two teams swapped the lead back and forth a few times. Then in the top of the sixth inning with the Braves leading by two runs, this happened. 2-1, Walker swings, there's a drive, deep center field, that baby is gone! Go ahead, shot for Walker, his second home run of the game, and the Diamondbacks leapfrog in front, it's 12-11. From Arizona Sports 98.7 FM, but the lead changes weren't done. Austin Riley came to the plate with a runner on base in the bottom of the sixth. And the pitch. Swung on, hit in the air to center and pretty deep. Back goes Thomas on the track, at the wall, splash down! Another home run for Riley! He's got seven RBIs! And the Braves are back on top, 13-12! Yeah, you can understand why there was laughter there, because the game was so crazy. And you know what? The Arizona Diamondbacks should come back. Here's the 1-0 pitch now from the right-hander Yates. And there's a swing. Soft liner down for a base hit. RBI knocked by Canzone, and we are tied at 13. Arizona would go on and take the lead. 
2-0 swing. There's a ball headed towards right center field. That is down, and it's going to the wall. Two runs are going to score as Perdomo gives the Diamondbacks the lead. It's now 15-13 in the top of the ninth inning. The final score was 16-13. That sound from Arizona Sports 98.7 FM. Sarah Langs tweeted this out after last night's game. Just think about what happened in baseball yesterday. 11 teams scored 10-plus runs, and that's tied with the dates of September 1st, 1890, and July 4th, 1884 for the third most on a single day all time behind only a couple of other days. Uh, I It was crazy how many runs were scored around baseball yesterday. We'll be talking with Alden Gonzalez. Give him some, uh, we'll share some theories about why you know this has happened. Tori Lovello, manager of the Diamondbacks, talked about his team's at-bats. The all-field approach, um, you know, just having a high baseball IQ through the course of the at-bat, not swinging a pitch we weren't looking for, checking off early. Um, all, all the things that go hand-in-hand hand with good hitters. Good hitters are able to see what's going on, um, read and react without trying to do too much. And it was it was a big day for us. And look, we piled up 16 runs in one game. Um, it wasn't anything that anybody predicted. I'm just really proud of these guys. I'm proud of this team. Um, we fought today, and we had we had a lot of opportunities to to um, to shut it down. But we're resilient, um, we're strong, and and we showed up today. They fought against a really great team on the road. Braves manager Brian Snicker was asked, did his players do anything wrong? No, it wasn't anything anybody did, didn't do. It was, a, it was a, one of them games. That's all. They're not going to be perfect every time. Like nobody is in this game. None of us are. They're going to have days that aren't going to be real good. We've had a whole bunch of days in the last three months that have been really, really, really good. You're going, that's, we're going to go through spells. It's not easy doing this, navigating an entire. There's nothing, nothing, any, there's nothing wrong. You know, we'll be right back at them tomorrow. So, Taylor, my son, the Braves fan, uh, he texted me late last night. He thinks that this is a blessing in disguise. And also the Braves had another crazy game the other day, giving up double-digit runs. He feels like this will push the Braves' front office to make a deal to upgrade pitching. You like the theory? I do like the theory. I also feel like it. You know, maybe they need to come back down to earth a little bit. You know, Maybe they need to be humbled. Huh? Wait, a little reminder before we get to the trade deadline of that, you know, that they have a great lineup, but, man, their pitching can get beaten up. Another National League West team, the Giants, wound up playing what was effectively a doubleheader because they had to suspend the game on Monday. When they picked that up, the suspended game in the top of the 10th inning, Jack Peterson gave the Giants a lead. The pitch, Peterson swings, lines it out into left field. It's hit well. Benson going back, reaches up. It's over his head. Up against the bottom of the wall. Wisely's around third. He'll score the go-ahead run on his way to second. And in there with a double is Jock Peterson. And the Giants take the lead here in the 10th. It's 3-2. That from KNBR. The Giants will win the first game 4-2. Then in the regular game, a rookie who's making his debut this week in the big leagues for the Cincinnati Reds had a big moment. Strand, yes to see, yes, and the Reds ahead, 8-7.
But you know what? The Giants would come back. Upfielders in center and right. Shaded Matos the other way. 2-1 pitch. He swings. Lines it out into left center field. He's got a hit. Steer over to cut it off. Sable has scored. Here comes Wisely rounding third. He'll score as the throw comes in towards second. And so the Giants went on to win 11-10, winning both games of this improvised doubleheader. Dodgers, Orioles in Baltimore after their win on Monday. Chris Taylor leading the way. This is what Jason Hayward did in the top of the second. Wells, the right-hander, sets, fires. And this ball's hammered to center field deep. Heading back, Hicks to the track, to the wall. It's gone. A three-run home run. Jason Hayward and the Dodgers strike first tonight. It's 3 nothing. And they would go on and blow out the Orioles 10 to 3. That was Tim Never at AM 570 LA Sports. Taylor, you've seen the Rays. They've been giving up some ground in the American League East lately. Opportunity up there for the Orioles the last two days. Well, how are you feeling in this series against the Dodgers? Uh, I'm feeling okay. The Orioles haven't been swept this year, so I'm hoping that today they can keep that up. And uh, the, the Rays. Uh, not doing well against the Rangers, so it seems status quo going to this four-game set over the weekend. I'm very excited slash big-time nervous about it. Okay, no, don't don't take any shots at Dave Roberts when he joins us, okay? No tension from you when Dave Roberts is on the line with us. You know, I, I'm being a professional capital J journalist. I didn't wear an Orioles hat today to do the podcast, just out of respect. Very <laughs> you know, that's a pro move right there. The Dodgers got some good news about Clayton Kershaw. He had a bullpen session, and he uh, was very pleased with how he's feeling. So he continues to trend toward coming back. Another National League West team, the Padres, are in Toronto, and they blew out Alec Manoa and the Blue Jays. Pitch number 24 about to be delivered. A 3-2 offering. Fly ball Ooh. to left field. Pretty well hit. Varsho going back. He's at the wall. It is gone. Two-run home run for Juan Soto, and the Padres take an early 2-0 lead against the Blue Jays here in the first. On their way to a 9-1 win, that from 97.3, the fan, Alec Manoa, a rough outing, five walks and in three innings. So, you know, that first start against the Tigers, that went great. This start, not so great. Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals on the hottest tickets. Experience it live. Everyone's buying tickets to see Shohei Otani out in Anaheim, and yep, he did damage again against the Yankees. This in the bottom of the fifth inning Tuesday night. And here's the pitch. Grounded past the first baseman, Lomayu. This is going to roll all the way in the corner, and Neto might have a chance to score. He's going to be waved home. He's going to score easily and hit it for third, and getting there with a stand-up triple is Otani, and it's four with the Angels. Angels are going to win 5-1. to one. That from Terry Smith, Angels Radio, AMA 30. This was the day after Otani had that epic bat flip. Uh, Sarah, what did what'd you think of that? Otani's bat flip with that home run on Monday night. That was incredible. He, You know what? He is showtime. He gives the people what they want. Yep. Well, and I keep on hearing from people around baseball that they think he's going to spend the rest of the year with the Angels. We'll be talking about that with Allen coming up. Here's Aaron Boone after another Yankees loss. No, no, <laughs> no. Like, there's no quit in it. There's no, we got to fight. Like, we got really good players in there. And a lot of guys that are going through a tough, tough stretch. You know, for some, probably as tough a stretch as they've been in their career. So, 
you don't take your ball and go home. You, you, you stick your nose in there and you grind it out and you, and you compete your ass off. And we're doing that. They're doing that. They're not leaving any stone unturned. It's not from a lack of, of work and focus and conversations. And, you know, so with all due respect, just we're going to keep competing. And, and, and that's going to get to be a boring answer for you guys until we break through. But that's the only thing we can do and the only thing we know how to do. And it's not accepting anything not when we have the group that we know we're capable of we gotta but we gotta get it out we gotta find it so i this is the first time i heard that sound and my guess is is that the question was do you feel like you guys are accepting defeat with the way that he used that word accept and underscored it there now the yankees are getting good news on aaron judge he seems to be making progress Uh, i think it was uh, aaron boone yesterday said he's getting close to being able to take the next step, doing more activities with that uh, that right toe. Another New York team that's trying to hang on this year, the Mets, had a crazy game yesterday. They got a lot of help from Francisco Alvarez. 2-1. Swing and a fly ball. Sent deep left center field. He got another one. Home run, Alvarez. Two-run shot for the 21-year-old who rounds the bases for the second time tonight. That was from WCBS. At that point, it was 11-4 in the bottom of the sixth inning. And in the end, the potential tying run was at third base with two outs in the ninth. But David Robertson got the save. The Mets hang on to win 11-10, then they will take it. The Phillies, the Brewers, and Kyle Schwarber jump-started the Phillies in the bottom of the first. Schwarber hit in the air to left field. Did he do it again? He did it again! An opposite field leadoff home run, the 26th of his career. It comes on the first pitch, which he likes to do. It's 1-0 Phillies. How hot has that man been? Holy Lord. First pitch by Tehran running away from Kyle. The only way you can hit that pitch in the air is to hit it the other way. That was the great Tom McCarthy working with John Cruck on the Phillies television network. Schwarber also made a great catch. Phillies win the game 4-3 over Milwaukee. The Rangers versus the Rays, two first-place teams, and Corey Seager did some damage. In the first pitch, Corey swings. That one is hit high and deep to center field. Low going back at the track. He leaps that ball down here. A three-run home run for Corey Seager. And he's given the Rangers a 5-1 lead. And they would hold on to win 5-3. to three. Some other notes, catcher Travis Darno and the Braves agreed Tuesday to an $8 million contract for 2024. Padres trying to shape their roster. DFA'd infielder Rugnet Odor sent uh, catcher Austin Nola back to the minor leagues. And Major League Baseball is officially taking over broadcasts of Arizona Diamondbacks games. That's uh, happened because of Diamond Sports Group's request to shed its contract with the Diamondbacks Major League Baseball. It feels like is moving toward that time when they'll be taking over most of the team broadcast. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, we are slowly creeping toward college football season. Media days are underway. Last week was Big 12 media days. This week, SEC media days in Nashville. I saw your guy, uh, I think it's Lee Clark, the Vanderbilt head coach. He got a, an extension yeah. there. That's uh, that's good news. Go Vandy. Good. Um, and 
we didn't talk about that on the college football podcast, but it was in my rundown, what? Buster. It was in that my rundown. should have been your lead. I know, right? Come on, Vanderbilt football. Let's go. A little respect <laughs> there, Al. I'll, I'll, I'll tell Reese Davis and Pete Thamel they are rude gentlemen, but you should listen to them anyway on the college football podcast. Yeah, tell Reese Davis he's not going to be allowed back to Bozeman unless he talks about Vanderbilt football more. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. The NFL schedule drops this week. And you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com. Dot com today, code baseball. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Alvin Gonzalez covers baseball for ESPN, and in the last week, and Mets work in the home run derby uh, on the sidelines, uh, along with Carl Ravitch, Eduardo Perez, myself. And then over the weekend, Sunday night baseball, we of course had the Astros. In Anaheim facing the Angels, all that talk about Shohei Otani. So it feels like, Alden, like you and I have been hanging out together the last week. I wanted to ask you to just work in the Derby. That was your first experience doing that, you know, doing that those great interviews where you're talking to guys, uh, Spanish-speaking players, and translating on the fly. What was that like for you? What was it kind of a cool moment for you? Uh, there were so many, Buster. Um, I was so excited going into it, but just the energy – um, and the enthusiasm on the field during that event was something I couldn't even imagine. I've, uh, I've done uh, some on-field reporting for some playoff games before. So I've been on the field like before big games at Bush Stadium. But to be literally on the playing surface when Julio Rodriguez went nuts in that first round was unlike anything that I've ever felt. Um, it rivaled. Um, the atmosphere, the energy of any World Series game that I covered. I'm being honest here. Uh, I think it was because I was on the field. Um, but the energy in that building was so palpable for their guy to be doing that in the first round. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget the excitement of somebody like Wander Franco just watching his teammate Randy Rosarena go nuts in the derby. I'll never forget um, Julio Rodriguez's dad on the sidelines. Uh, he, kept talking with with him. he kept coming and finding you and you guys were chatting away. So he has uh, last year when the Derby was in Dodger stadium, he put the entirety of Julio Rodriguez's rounds on his Instagram stories. And so his Instagram stories became appointment television for all the people of Lomo de Cabrera in the Dominican Republic where uh, Julio Rodriguez is from. Uh, so he tried to do it this time. But Julio, his son, told him ahead of time, look, I know you want to do this thing, but I also want you to enjoy it this time. Don't worry about recording it for all these people. At some point, put the phone down, take it all in. That's exactly what he did. He told me, he's like, I was thinking before this that Julio needed 40. He needed to give me 40 home runs in the first round. He gave me 41. 
it, it was amazing. Um, I also, one last thing, if I could point out, I was standing next to J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had his round. And you know Mookie. He, had, he didn't think he had any shot of winning this thing. But watching Mookie take in Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s round, it wasn't great. J.D. Martinez trying to hype him up, trying to explain to him how he could win this. That was a lot of fun, too. Yeah. Uh, and, and Vladdy, it, it felt like after watching the first round, I didn't think he had a chance after watching how tired he looked at the end of the first round. But as John Schneider, his manager, told me, you know, between rounds, he was like, he's got more stamina than I expected that he would have. And there's also, you know, we talk about heart rates. Julio Rodriguez went crazy in that first round. It's like he wore himself out with that amazing first round of 41 homers. On the other hand, it felt like Vlad's heart rate was like this the whole time. Like he was totally under control. Yeah, I think Vlad kind of showed himself to be kind of a veteran of the Derby, having done it one yeah. time before, but also his father having won it. He paced himself, and you know this as well as anybody. It's You need to win each round, but you got to pace yourselves too. I think it was very clear that Julio Rodriguez was shot. But Buster, having seen that, how could you not be after what he did and after all that he exerted out of himself to hit that many home runs in one round? So last night, uh, you were at, uh, at the Big A again, and we're going to get to t- conversation around Shohei Otani, but you're also around the Yankees, a team that has lost four or five out of the break. Uh, they're floundering. They dropped to last place in the American League East. Scale of 1 to 10, how much trouble are they in, do you think, Alan? On a normal scale, it's probably a 6 or a 7. On a New York scale, it's probably a 12. Yeah. Uh, I think there are a lot of people freaking out about the Yankees. Um, I was in Aaron Boone's office after the game. It was quite a bit chippy in there. Um, and, you know, I think the losses just keep piling up right now. And the thing that's just that I can't wrap my head around is, look, I know Aaron Judge is a really good player. I know he's very important to that offense. But that's a team that still has a lot of really accomplished players in Giancarlo Staten, uh, DJ LeMahieu, and Glaber Torres. and on and on and on, and they can't hit Buster. I mean, it's been ever since June 3rd when Aaron Judge went down, they are a bottom three offense, and that's just, that's unexplainable to me. Uh, And you could talk about the kind of moves that they need to make at the deadline. I know you've been saying for a while that Cody Bellinger's a natural fit. I agree, but they just don't feel a player or two away. And and if you want to take an optimist view in this, you can say, look, Aaron Judge, he's been taking on-field batting practice. He's been doing some defensive work. It looks like he's getting close, even though he's probably going to have to play through a little bit of pain. Uh, Nestor Cortez is getting back to join the rotation. Jonathan Loizaga is getting back to join the bullpen. Those are important names coming up. They could go get guys. But you look up and down the lineup, I mean, just the approach from, the, from those hitters, it reminds me a little bit of the White Sox, um, just a lot of empty at-bats, uh, but they're better than that. I mean, look, they, they went up against an Angels team that had lost 11 of 13, and the reason why they had been sliding so much wasn't because of, because of all the injuries on the position player side. It's because their starting pitching had been brutal. And on back-to-back nights, Griffin Canning and Patrick Sandoval shut them down. The day before that, Chase Anderson, who had an ERA nearing seven, shut them down. This should not be happening, but it can't stop happening, and they're in the toughest division in baseball. So there's definite need to panic. You know what's interesting about that? Last year, you know, Otani had a tremendous season overall, 
Uh, and as Judge was approaching the American League home run record, the conversation started up, should Otani be the MVP, even though Judge is having this historic season because of the production that Otani brings every day. And I found myself arguing like, no, because I think Judge was so crucial to the Yankees. You know, uh, the Yankee success last year was built on Judge. And you knew that in that five-week period when a bunch of guys got hurt and it felt like Judge just carried that team in a way. And so it was like two separate uh, conversations for me. Which player was the guy who had the most production last year? It was Otani. But on the other hand, which guy was most important to his team? It was Aaron Judge. And I feel that way now. Like if Aaron Judge comes back to the Yankees, it's going to be amazing to me how different it feels with him in the lineup. I think that helps Stan. I think it helps Rizzo. Uh, maybe it, it allows them to take pressure off themselves. I know Aaron Boone talked about that after the game last night, feeling like he's got a bunch of guys who are putting pressure on themselves. That shouldn't necessarily happen with a team with that many veterans, but it does. And I think it did last year too. Um, and it's crazy to think the judge could be that important. And I do think that, you know, if you're Brian Cashman and you feel like you're going to have to pay the extra 20% on a price tag for someone like Cody Bellinger, I'm doing it. Like I, there's too much invested in this team now where I'm, I, I'm, I, you need to go and get some help to me right now before judge comes back, especially because there's some uncertainty about how much judge is actually, you know, how healthy judge is going to be when he actually returns to the lineup, given that it's a right foot, right toe injury. What do you think? Oh, I agree. And, and I think it's dangerous for as good as Aaron Judge is to think that he's this elixir, that he's just going to fix everything all of a sudden when right. he gets back. I, I do think that the way this year has gone has only validated the fact that he should have been the MVP last year, for as weird as that might sound. Um, and, and I think Aaron Boone said something interesting last night, too, about how, um, you know, you need to like work really hard and put everything you can into just fighting each day. But then when first pitch comes at 638 every afternoon, you got to go play like a kid. And I think that's the element of this team right now. That's a little bit elusive. I think you're absolutely right, Buster, in that I think you can feel guys putting a lot of pressure on themselves because a lot of these guys have been guys who are super accomplished thinking that they're the ones that are going to get this team out of this rut that they're in. And I think that's showing up in the results. But, I mean, you talk about adding pieces. I mean, of course they do. They, they, can't, they can't sell at the deadline. They need to go for it. Um, they have a better team. They have a better record than every team in the American League Central. They just happen to play in a really tough division. Uh, and they're playing this poorly because most of their guys are underperforming. I mean, there's not a single hitter in that lineup right now that has an adjusted OPS at even 110. That's, wow. I, I, I can't explain that. But you got to think at some point it's going to turn. But absolutely, they need outfield help. And the good thing about their situation is you can get quarter outfield bats at the deadline. Whether it's Cody Bellinger or somebody else, they need to augment that lineup, no doubt. Okay, and you know that at some point, if Shohei Otani is put out in the marketplace in earnest where the Angels are saying, yes, we're going to trade him, we're taking our best offers, we're willing to, to uh, have that conversation, you know the Yankees will be involved in that as well. But I get asked this question by the executives who I ask the question of, Alden, every day. Do you think uh, that Otani's going to be traded? You know Artie Moreno better than I do. Uh, I hear lots of stories. You tell me, as of this moment, do you think Otani's going to be traded? No, I do not. Now, ask me in a week, 
maybe I changed my mind. And this is hard because I have to predict Artie Marin. And that is almost impossible sometimes. <laughs> I just think right now it's going to be really hard for the front office to sell Artie Moreno on trading Shohei Otani, which means one, giving up on this season, watching him win an MVP somewhere else, potentially giving up on being able to bring him back as a free agent, on being the owner who trades a generational, not just generational player, an unprecedented player, and on getting enough back for him to negate those four things, but also give up the revenue that Shohei Otani brings, which is through interest in the Angels in another country, uh, through increased attendance, through sponsorship, through advertising. I'm not saying he shouldn't trade Shohei Otani. I am of the belief that it is the more pragmatic thing to do to leverage this asset that every team's going to want going to want not just because they think he could help them significantly down the stretch but because I think teams are going to place they're going to place a real value in having them in their organization for 2 months and believing that it's going to give them an upper hand in free agency with him but I'm speaking from Artie Moreno's point of view and I don't know what's in his head but as of now my thinking is that it's going to take a lot to convince him. And it, and the thing that's going to take mostly is the Angels losing a ton of games coming up. And that could happen because they're very shorthanded. But you asked me today, and today I'd say no. Okay. So I'm going to follow up with a, a few thoughts. And, again, this is based on conversations with a lot of executives with other teams. One, and I think you'll agree with me here, the refrain here around baseball is the Angels should have traded him last summer. They feel like that last July – his value would have been off the charts in the package they would have gotten uh, for Otani to impact potentially two pennant races with the team that acquired him would have been enormous. It would have changed the roster all over the place. No doubt. Two, uh, you talk to baseball ops people, and these are objective people. I'm not looking for someone who's trying to trade for Otani. These are people of teams that are not even involved across the board. It's unanimous. They're like, you got to trade him. You got, you got to get something more in return for a guy that good than the uh, draft picks that they would get. And all that said, I think this is a, for everything you laid out, I think it's a lot more difficult and a lot more complicated decision for Artie Moreno than people realize. So I think that, you know, if I were, uh, you know, Perry Manassi and I are working for Artie, my recommendation would be like, yeah, you, you need to trade him. But I would also understand from Artie's perspective how torn he would be and making the decision to not trade him. What do you think? I I agree on all of those points. Um, I will say, Artie Moreno putting the team up for sale and then ultimately not selling the team might might have changed a lot about the Angels because absolutely, they probably should have traded him last summer. Uh, The package would have been enormous. What we didn't realize at the time was that at that point, Artie Moreno was thinking about selling the team, and he announced that he was going to sell the team a few weeks later. The ensuing offseason, when Perry Manassian does something that he would never do, which is come out right in the forefront and say definitively that he is not trading a certain player, in this case being Shohei Otani, it's because the Angels were for sale. Um, I think that um, halted a lot of the normal course of action, potentially, 
Um, I think Shohei Otani's presence is definitely a factor in a, in a potential sale of an organization. And then him coming back, um, I think now maybe the calculus has changed from the perspective that he sees himself as the owner, at least in the foreseeable future. Um, I still think it's going to be difficult. And, and look, this is not um, this is a very emotional type of way to look at this. But I think sometimes owners, and I'm not speaking just of Vardy, I think all of them, look at this in that way. You see Shohei Otani on Monday night, and it's a three-to-one game in the seventh, and he hits another home run, and he has this epic bat flip, and you see the energy in that stadium around Shohei Otani, and he's a triple away from the cycle again, and you're watching that, and I just think it's a hard thing to give up. It's a hard thing to say, all right, let's get rid of him. Um, It's just he means so much to the people there uh, that it's just – it's so much, there's so much more to it than that. There's so much more to this situation than just your basic rental situation. And I think these next, this next week plus is going to be really fascinating to see how this develops because I think what happens on the field could directly impact what happens with Shohei. Because Artie's emotional, because he's impetuous. I mean, the, the signing of Albert Pujols was an example of that. The signing of Josh Hamilton was the signing of that, or a, a, uh, an example of that. I feel like that the only chance that Otani gets traded is if they go on a burst of, of losses. Like if they go on a run of losing seven out of eight and they're getting blown out every night and they're just getting at, to the degree that Artie you know, loses his temper and says, you know what, the hell with it, it's not working, yeah, go ahead and trade him. If they kind of pop along at 500, you know, win two, lose one, win one, lose one, I don't yep. think they're going to trade him. I think it's going to take a, a run of defeats based on the fact that Artie can be impetuous. That makes sense? I think so. Um, I, I think it definitely makes sense. And I, I think, too, what makes it difficult is, look, if you knew you didn't have a chance of signing him in the offseason, maybe it'd be a little yep. bit more simple. It'd be like, all right, let's forget it. Let's get something for him. I don't think the Angels are going to get any indication on that whatsoever before nope. that because I don't think um, Shohei Otani and his ancient Nezbolelo want to give up any of their leverage. Um, but, I, look, I, I've been around the Angels quite a bit these last few days, and I think it's easy to – and I'm not saying they're flawed in thinking this, but it's easy to convince themselves – that look, they still have a chance because they see Mike Trout has been doing more on the field than they thought that he would be doing at this point. They think he might come back a little bit early from that Hammond injury. Logan O'Hoppy, their really impressive rookie catcher who separated his shoulder early in the season, he's doing catching drills. They feel like he's coming back really closely. Their offense is still scoring some runs. I'm not saying they're a championship contender. All I'm saying is that it's easy for them to convince themselves that they still have a chance here. And I think we need to remember how much they've put into this season. All right. They put their payroll up at near $215 million heading into the year. That's a franchise record for them. They've, they promoted their shortstop that they drafted last year. Okay. To be an everyday shortstop after 50 plus minor league games, because they thought he could help right now. They got pitching prospects who were drafted just a year or two ago, Brought him up, put him in the bullpen because they needed immediate bullpen help. When they needed uh, some help to shore up their infield, they went out and traded for Eduardo Escobar and Mike Moustakas, giving up actual prospects for these guys. It's going to be really difficult for them to just give up on this season. And, and Buster, if I, if I could use this as just a quick opportunity to say, and I don't know if you agree with me on this, but when you have so many teams that are vying 
when you have so many playoff spots and the standings get so muddled still this time of year, I don't understand the logic against moving the trade deadline back just a couple of weeks, make it August 15th, something like that, because we're getting now to the end of July in a week and a half. There are going to be so many teams that are going to have to make definitive decisions one way or the other that don't really know. They don't really know if they're actual contenders or not. I don't understand why not move the trade deadline back a couple of weeks if you have these extra playoff spots that muddle it. Yeah, I like it where it is. <laughs> I do. I, I like I like the pressure being on the front office people to 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 make a hard decision. You know, uh, you know the pressure right. to be on an Artie Moreno to make a hard decision. I I like that, and I think that they I like the fact that they have to guess a little bit, like most of us do. So. All right, sir. Yeah. Uh, great talking with you, Alden, and I will be talking with you in the days ahead. Thanks, Buster. Appreciate it. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Dave Roberts is the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He, of course, has been in baseball a long time. And Dave, within that context, I'm curious. I asked this question of Dusty Baker the other day because we had the Angels and the, the Astros on Sunday Night Baseball Asked him about Shohei Otani and what he's doing this year. And, you know, compared to, you know, his experience and what he's seen in baseball, what he thinks about this. And I'll ask the same question of you. I think uh, the first word that comes to mind is unprecedented. Um, I think that, 
you know, if you, you split him up into two parts uh, as a pitcher and a hitter, he's in the MVP conversation regardless. So um, he's a clear cut, you know, best player in all of baseball and just what he's doing, uh, you know, on the field, uh, off the field, you know, supporting the game of major league baseball um, from Europe to Asia and just kind of young kids and, you know, want to be the next Shohei is, is pretty remarkable. So knowing players and how they, you know, go through their days, uh, I'm curious about, you know, the process. What uh, surprised you the most about someone being able to do this? Um, I, I think the thing that surprises me most is the, the time the, uh, that it takes to succeed at this level as a position player or as a starting pitcher and to be able to uh, kind of uh, split that time up to still be so dominant. It's just, it's fascinating because he makes it look, obviously makes it look easy. It's a, it's a physical talent, but I just don't think people appreciate um, the, the head and the drive, the focus on the attention to detail to, to be able to do this so consistently. When we were talking to Phil Nevin the other day, he mentioned he thought that part about Otani that people miss sometimes is how fast he is. You are known for speed. You've seen him run. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he just he's just covers a lot of ground. He just chews up ground. And, um, you know, when he smells a knock, um, he can get that infield hit. He can hit a ball 500 feet. Uh, he can score from first. Just... Yeah, I mean, just nothing he can't do on a baseball field, and that's uh, that's literally and, and figuratively. Right. You guys have been the dominant force in baseball over the last decade. Tell me what this feels like this year, sort of jockeying uh, at the top of the National League West. The Diamondbacks take over first for a time. You guys have taken it back. Uh, what's the, how, how does it feel different to you? Well, I, I think it's different in, in the sense that just, well, first off, the schedule um, with the balanced schedule – we're getting to see everyone, and, and I think it gives everyone a good kind of uh, baseline of, of what, you know, your record really is um, and, instead of being so heavy in, in your own division. Um, there's a lot more parity, and um, so you got to see, you know, you get to see the Reds play well. Um, obviously, you mentioned the Diamondbacks. The Giants are back to doing what the Giants do and just all throughout baseball. It's, it's really fun to see. And I think the fans have enjoyed it. I think for us, it's uh, it, it's a, every year's a different team. Um, I think people feel that because we wear the Dodger uniform and I talked to Desi about this, um, you know, whether it's the Astro uniform or the Dodger uniform, they expect that you're supposed to be in first place and it's a rite of passage. Um, it's just not that easy. Um, but I, I'm proud of the way we, we play We've, you know, gone through some adversities, but, we're playing some good baseball right now. So the primary adversity for you guys this year has been with the pitching. Uh, tell me where you guys stand in terms of, uh, you know, help on the way is in the weeks ahead is starting with Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. Help is on the way. Um, Clayton had a good pen yesterday. Uh, he's supposed to throw another pen on Friday when we get to Texas. And then I think at that point, when we get back home from the road trip, uh, he should face some hitters. And so our hope is sometime early August, we'll get him back in the rotation. Walker Bueller, what, uh, what's your sense on where he is now? Yeah, Walker, it's one of those that September um, would be best case scenario, and that would be an assured stint to hopefully build him up. But 
I think for me, that's something that we're not counting on. I never want to count out Walker, but I think, you know, just being mindful of, you know, this is Tommy John number two. So we got to be very mindful of that too. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, if we do get him back, it'd be a huge bonus. Andrew Friedman has talked about, you know, pitching being potentially a focal point for him as he gets close to the trade deadline. I'm curious from your perspective, uh, as we get close to the trade deadline, how much do you dig into the rumors that, you know, idiots like me generate? <laughs> um, not a whole lot, Buster. Um, and uh, you're, you're, you're the best at what you do. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, pitching is always king. And when you're talking about winning 11 games in October and certainly also getting through the second half and uh, putting yourself in a good spot, so whether it's starting pitching, uh, a leverage arm, I think that Andrew uh, and our guys are always kicking the tires on that. Um, so, yeah, we are getting some guys to health, but uh, that's always something at the uh, front of mind. Yeah, and so, um, you know, some some managers that I've talked to through the years, they will, you know, text the general manager, head of baseball ops, and they'll say, hey, where do we stand? What do you hear on this? What do you think's coming? And I've I've talked to other managers, I think Bruce Bochy being an example of one where he like walls it off. Like he didn't want to even want to hear about it because he feels like his responsibility is to deal with the players who are right in front of him. Sort of where do you fall in that spectrum? I'm more in that camp. Um, I I think uh, I sort of let the people, you know, do what their specialty is. And in in this specific, you know, instance, Andrew will – and, and Brandon Gomes will kind of ask me to kind of chime in on a couple things and, and thoughts, but uh, we have just such a good relationship where they're around and, and kind of have a pulse of the club and know what our needs are. So uh, for me, you know, you've got 26 players, you've got media twice a day, um, you've got coaches, and I, I keep track of the minor league players that are coming up, um, but that's plenty. And I think that the other stuff I – think it spreads uh it would spread my focus a little too much so i kind of let uh the baseball ops take care of that stuff how does that impact a clubhouse and i you know think back when i covered the yankees in 2000 uh for example i know joe torrey felt like at that time like the players just had an expectation that the yankees were going to add stuff and (laughs) they kept on anticipating that help was on the way to the point joe felt like it was a distraction uh, what's your sense generally about how players handle the trade deadline? I, I think, you know, every team is different, but I, but to speak about the Dodgers, my experience in eight years, I think, um, we do a good job. It, it's sort of the talk every deadline that something might or might not happen. We're in every conversation. So I think our guys are conditioned to, to deal with the noise and it really doesn't affect our guys. Um, I, I think, you know, in one sense, you can always get better. And then if there isn't something added to a particular, you know, part of the group, the team, then it's it's a vote of confidence. And so I think that, you know, the superpower that I think we have is that we focus, you know, on each day with the players that we have available. And um, I think the trade deadline, I think it's exciting for fans, media, you know, players, there's always expectation, anticipation, but as far as once the game starts, I don't think it has any bearing on us. All right, last one for you. We both have mentioned Dusty Baker. I happen to, I love our sessions that we do with him because he'll always do storytelling and he'll drop these incredible names and yet it doesn't feel like name dropping because he's known everybody. Uh, tell me, 
you know, what's that like for you having conversations with Dusty Baker? You know what? It's just, it takes me back to seeing the number 12 with the Dodgers, um, playing the outfield, the, the high five, the toothpick, the, the face on the wristbands. And I just think with Dusty, it's like, as you said, he, he knows everyone, played with everyone. And um, it's the, the he's bridges the gap between the old and the new. And I just marvel at the fact that someone who's been around the game for this long is so relatable and so relevant still. Um, it just speaks to how much he loves players and loves the game of baseball. So, um, you know, I'm going to be a, in a long list of people that are calling and texting him when he gets to Cooperstown. So I'm just excited to have him part of the game and have a mentor uh, and a friend at Dusty Baker. That's the part that I think people miss about him, you know, what his success as a manager. I'm like, he sincerely cares about people and the players feel that, yes? Yeah, you know, and, and the thing that, that really landed with me is uh, – you know, I, I heard this where uh, the first thing when they talk about Dusty Baker is he's a player's manager and, um, you know, he's great, he's positive and, uh, and all this stuff. But they don't, you know, the first thing that should be said is he's a great manager. And I, I think that that's the thing that uh, gets lost a lot with Dusty and doesn't get appreciated. So, uh, you know, I'm going to shout from the rooftops that he's a great manager and he gets along with players, but this man knows that the tactical parts of it, managing the pen and uh, lineup construction, and all that stuff as well. So uh, really, uh, like I said, he's a, he's one of the top mentors for me and Boach is right there with him. All right, Dave. Well, thanks for doing this. Always great to talk with you. All right, Buster. Take care. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Wednesday. Elizabeth Hart at eHeart Tweets writes in, You said Shohei needs to pitch in a six-man rotation if Manoa stays strong and Ryu comes back. Does that make the Blue Jays the best hit for Shohei? And on a scale of one to Flying Pigs, what are the odds of that happening? So a couple things there. First off, uh, boy, Alec Manoa and, and Elizabeth, I know you sent this in before it started last night. That was ugly. And it'll be interesting to see how the, the Blue Jays react to, to how he pitched last night. I hear great things about Ryu. They're feeling really excited about Ryu and what he could uh, bring to the table when he comes back. And, you know, recently, when I've had conversations with front office people with other teams, we basically go through the standings and say, what about this team? What about this team? What about this team? And when I ask about the Blue Jays, the perception of executives with other teams is, they feel like there's no way the Blue Jays front office, which they view as relatively conservative, will throw an all-in bid on Otani uh, if he's made available. And as Alden and I were talking about, there's a very good chance he's not made available. Christian Zilstra at Chizzy CMZ writes, and not to be a pain, but I'll ask again, can we get some love on the podcast for the incredible season Josh Naylor is having? The most underrated hitter in Major League Baseball this year. Okay, roll it. Taylor from the top of the, the first inning in the game last night. The pitch, and he drives one to deep right center. There she goes. Four nothing Cleveland. How about that? Josh Naylor. A bomb last night to left center. A bomb tonight to right center. And he wasn't done. He had another home run. It was called by Tom Hamilton at WTM at 1100. So, Christian, there's some love for Josh Naylor. There you go, Chizzy. 
Josh Newfeld writes in, I've been a Major League Baseball fan for 45 years, and I'm racking my brain trying to think of a notable third baseman with the speed-power combo of Ellie de la Cruz. That position doesn't normally attract speedsters. Am I wrong? No, you're 100% right. Uh, Ellie de la Cruz famously earlier this year was asked for an autograph by a guy in another team, and I wish I could remember which who it was, but he wrote underneath his name, the world fastest man. No third baseman has ever done that before. <laughs> <laughs> and our last one for today, Justin Simmons at Justin Lance Sim one writes in, Hey Buster, should the Cubs really be sellers with the only positive run differential in the division? The Reds have cooled off. The Cubs are more than 40 runs better than division leading Milwaukee who has sustained some injuries. Yes, the Cubs should be sellers. They're not close to uh, being a World Series caliber team. And I feel like that that's their standard. Like, they're not like the Angels. The Angels would be thrilled just to get into the playoffs. That's not the Cubs. Because, you know, within the last decade, they know they won a World Series. They know what that feels like. That's what they're aiming for. So I do think, yes, flip Cody Bellinger. Flip Marcus Stroman for assets and, and get uh, continue to build as they go forward. Buster, real quick, I got a question for you. You know, you were on the broadcast. You were talking to the Angels manager during the game. You asked him about what everyone's talking about. Shohei Otani, should the Angels trade him? Should they not? It was in the middle of a game. I happened to be listening to our competitor yesterday. And uh, Trevor Plouffe, Trevor Plouffe, he uh, he Blue. called it. Yeah. Uh, whatever his name is. Uh, <laughs> he called you unprofessional, Buster. I thought that was rude of him. It's what everyone wanted to know. And I would call Trevor Charmin Soft if that's what he actually believes. Because let me tell you, first off, the question I asked Phil Nevin was an open-ended question. It wasn't like I was like, Phil, are you going to trade Otani? You know, what are the odds Otani's going to be here on August 2nd? It was, as his manager, how are you handling your conversations with him with all this conversation around Otani? which is stating the obvious, right? And mm -hmm. Phil Nevin's been around a long time, and I knew he could take it any way, which way he wanted to because it's an open-ended question. And Phil said, you know what, um, we're, we're, we are focused on playing games, which is different than what he told us pregame. I had actually asked him the exact same question in a pregame session. He didn't blink because he's a professional, and he's <laughs> dealt with questions before, and he basically said, yeah, you know, we, we joke about it. You know, Tani, when, uh, you know, we'll go up to him and say, hey, yeah, it looks like you're only going to be my manager for a few more months. And they laugh because that's what you do over the course of a long season. So it made me laugh to think that a simple question like that, good Lord, I guess we're in the era where if you ask somebody a question, you have to be their best friend. Mm -hmm. It feels like that's the trend we're headed towards. So, you know, Trevor, I'd say, uh, you know, check yourself. Now, that's it for today. My thanks to Dave Roberts, to Alan, Sarah Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.